Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Let's go in our Bibles. We're going to go to Philippians chapter 1, continuing our study in Paul's letter to this church that he loved. And James gave a perfect segue because resolutions is part of making resolutions, part of this message. So if you're thinking, well, I missed the new year, hey, here's a good reset for you this morning, all right, for us together. If we can bring the lights up in the back, that'll help me connect and everybody can see their Bibles even better and more clearly back there. When Paul wrote this letter of Philippians, he wrote to them from prison. He was experiencing a season of great trial and testing. And so overflowing in this letter are themes of purpose, passion, confidence, hope that survives great trials and persecution. Paul did not lose his way. Stephen walked us through the text last Sunday when there were those while he was in prison and they were outside and they were free and they were trying to seize an opportunity with Paul out of the way. Maybe now was their moment to be the big dog. They had a confusion about what ministry is. They were doing what the disciples were doing along the way. Who's the greatest? Well, Paul must be being in a time of judgment from God because I'm free and he's not, so he must have been doing something wrong, so the Lord will bless me now, and here's my ministry the world has been waiting for. And in all of that, Paul said, I don't care. The gospel is being preached, and the Lord will deal with all of his servants. I don't have to. Paul prayed, he pastored, and he penned his way through every single trial. And here from prison, he is shepherding the churches. His heart, listen to me, loved ones, was not hardened in this time of testing. Easily, that could have happened. But instead, his heart was softened, but his resolve for the work of the gospel became even more firm in his own mind and in his life. He knew what to grip and hold tightly to. He knew what to let go of, his own reputation, his own name, his own concern, his own vindication. Let that go. He didn't spend and waste his time. Well, if they only knew, but I've been trying, and I, me, my, he said, let it all go for the cause of Christ. He wasn't there the day that Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. He had his time of discipleship with Jesus. But in Matthew 5 and verse 10, this section that we studied not long ago, listen to this sermon and how Paul, he exhibited this. His life displayed this beautifully. Jesus taught us, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, and you can say Paul, you, follower of Christ, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, they lie about you. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, Paul... In the same way, disciples, in the same way, members of Grace Community Church, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory not to you and not to me, not to Paul, but to your Father who is in heaven. Amen? And this is what Paul is, is demonstrating. And so when he writes this letter, it's a powerful letter because he's not writing from the palace. He's not writing from a vacation at the seashore. He is writing from prison about unbreakable joy. So Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to pick up in verse 18, and that was the last verse last Sunday, but we pick up here because you can hear this continuation that Paul has in this section 
which originally would have not, it would not have been divided in chapters and verses. It was written on a letter. And his thoughts are connected together. And he says in verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. You see, he's not done here. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is the word of God. Amen? So this morning, five resolutions. Five resolutions that make much of Christ in every season. Five resolutions that make much of Christ in every season. And if we're going to carry out these resolutions, it's not by our own strength or willpower. It's that next heading in your notes there, by the grace of God. Like if this happens, if we do this, it's the grace of God. It's nothing to us. It's the grace of God that will carry and sustain us. But number one, Paul was absolutely devoted and determined to rejoice in Jesus Christ. To rejoice always in every season in Jesus Christ. That his joy would be unstoppable and unbreakable in Jesus Christ. To rejoice in Christ. So what Paul is demonstrating for us is that we need to choose joy, and this is our commitment, that loved ones, I will choose joy in times of blessing. In times of blessing, and you hear me say that and you think, well, that's kind of easy. Wouldn't that be easy to do in times that are good, to rejoice? At first glance, that seems like, well, that, that'd be easy. I can keep this one. Thanks, wise. I've got this one. Everything's going well. Health, wealth, happiness. I'm good. I will rejoice. But I want to cut through that and get to joy, distinguishing it from mere up and down happiness that we can go through in life. We need to exercise caution when we are in seasons of blessing. When everything's going well, caution when our health is good, when we're financially strong, when things seem to be going well, we can easily, easily fall into the temptation that, look, look how good I'm doing. And, and look actually what I'm doing. And I actually deserve all the blessings and good health and, and you know, whoever I voted for won and all of this. It's all going my way. This is wonderful and I actually deserve this. After all, look at me. There's a real danger here. In times of prosperity, which our nation has experienced throughout its history in many ways, we can be tempted to forget the giver, the creator, the one who created and sustains everyone and everything. Forget him. To put everyone and everything else, including ourselves, before the Lord Almighty. So it's fitting for us to pause. It's fitting for us to give praise and thanksgiving and worship to the giver of all good things and not become preoccupied with the gifts. 
Because that's what often happens when people have health and then they lose it and they say, where's God? Well, he's right where he was when you enjoyed that health for all of your life. He's God. What does James say, the half-brother of Jesus? 117, every good gift and every perfect gift. It's not from us. It's from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, and I love how he uses this word picture here, the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The one who spoke and put the sun in its place, and we get the shadows through the day, he doesn't change. The sun is fixed. What about the one who fixed the sun in, in space? He doesn't change. So here is a call to gratitude that our health, our wealth, our seasons of prosperity, they may come and they may go, but our joy and our commitment to rejoice remains because we sing it. If I have you, Lord, I have everything. And we're tested in time. So in times of blessing, sometimes that's a temptation that's even more sneaky. And believers can go through seasons where you've, all of these things can enter our schedules and we forget God. We forget to prioritize our creator and our redeemer and our savior. I choose joy in times of blessing. And with Paul, we would say, I choose joy in times of testing. And here Paul exemplifies what it means to suffer well for the glory of God. He was suffering. Job in the Old Testament was tested. He was refined in the furnace of extreme trials and loss. But what did he do? He worshiped his way through the suffering. At the end of chapter one, we hear when Job lost everything around him that was important to him. He was only left with his wife. She would come to say, why don't you just curse God and die? I mean, just you have to put yourself in her perspective. She was looking at her beloved husband and watching him suffer. Have you ever been by a suffering bedside of a loved one and you know they're suffering and you're caught between the compassion of their suffering and you wanting them to remain? So we can easily be a little harsh on Job's wife she loved her husband and he's suffering un unbelievable pain at the end of chapter two. But at the end of chapter one, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground. And what did he do? He worshiped. And he said, so here he's preaching truth to his, his heart. He's preaching truth to his doubts and to his fears. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. His commitment, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So here we find Paul experiencing great loss. Here he is, he's imprisoned, he's sidelined. If you've ever played on a sports team, do you really want to be the one that the coach says, hey, hey, wise, bench. Sit on the bench. Don't even stand by the bench. Sit on the bench. Don't even come near me. You're awful. Go sit down. Matter of fact, go into the stands. Go to the bleachers. Go to the locker room. Okay, Paul is, at this time, he's benched. He, he's not, if you will, in the game. He's not out there preaching and debating. He's in prison. He's sidelined. How easy is it for us to swallow our pride when somebody else is put in front of us? It's hard. And Paul shows us how to choose joy in times of suffering. One writer said it this way, that Paul slept on the pillow of God's sovereignty. I like that. Are you able to sleep on the pillow of God's sovereignty? Am I able to sleep on that pillow? So he bridged this section with this bold declaration, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I will rejoice. And then he's, he's just not done with this theme of joy. If somebody's writing this letter, it, I would love to hear how that went when he was even speaking that. Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. 
Yes, and I will rejoice. Okay, I'm writing again. We're still on the theme of joy. Thought we were done with it. Okay, Paul. Yes, and I rejoice. So by the grace of God, we will rejoice in Christ. Times of testing, times of blessing. And number two, Paul's second resolution here, that I will remember my deliverance comes from the Lord. My deliverance comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from my own hand. And in this, I can maintain with Paul a posture of confident dependence. I will rejoice, for I know there's a confidence here that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. There's confidence here. He's not just sitting there pouting in prison. He's with confidence saying, oh, I remember my deliverance, my salvation, it comes from the Lord. And here he, he pulls in the reality that we all need human relationships. This great apostle of Paul, yes, I, I will rejoice because you're praying for me. Think about that. Do you think they felt inadequate? Like, what, what can we do? What can we do? Well, let's send somebody. Let's help him. Do we break him out of prison? Do we make up a, our own little Philippian church army? You know, so let's go get him. Let's go rescue him. No, we're not going to win against the Roman Empire. So we're praying for him, but it feels so insufficient. And Paul says, oh, you're praying for me. I know that through your prayers. What is he doing here? He does this repeatedly throughout his letters. He doesn't say, it's your honor to pray for me. After all, oh, I am the apostle. He's always talking about partnerships and relationships and the people that he loves and the people that minister to him and with him and serve with him. He's always making room for others. He's not lording over, this is my power and my position. And let's just make a note here. In the day and age that we live in when churches are blossoming around the globe with celebrity status pastors, and then we read our Bibles, and we see the discrepancy. We see the, the green room type pastor that comes in and he's pastoring, he's speaking, but is there shepherding? And that has nothing to do with the size of a congregation. Should the Lord bless us to the place that thousands are worshiping with us, it should not change the ones shepherding and leading one iota. They should still smell like the sheep. This is biblical. This is basic. And I will say that the day of entertainment will run thin when people are simply entertained by the next bigger program and next bigger campaign and people will hunger and thirst for the word of the Lord. That, pray that your pastor, your shepherd elders are just faithful to the word, faithful to shepherd. And Paul, he gives this humble deference to you're praying for me. Oh, I know this is going to turn out for my deliverance because you're praying for me. Paul placed a high, a supreme value upon relationships. Let's just pause here. Who are you primarily influenced by? If you're working, you're, you're part of our culture, where you live, the groups that you are part of, who is influencing you on a regular basis? Who is shaping your thinking? Who do you receive the iron sharpening iron? And Paul knew that I'm in the world, but I'm not of it. And he wouldn't be influenced or diminished or silenced one split second by somebody in the outside world that didn't know Christ. Who influences you? How much of your thinking and your worldview have you given over to people you work with? That you hide your light under a bushel or that you say, no, this is my mission field where God has placed me. This is what we learned from Paul. He said, you're praying for me. We need divine rescue. This has been an interesting week. If you were watching Monday Night Football last Monday night, you saw 
really the whole sports world come to a stop with one tackle and one stopping of a 24-year-old athlete that's in a league that none of us, I don't think, will ever understand. Don't be offended if you're in that league, and I, I didn't know that, okay? And everyone stopped. And so many thoughts and prayers, and perhaps you saw the one ESPN analyst that said, we've talked enough about thoughts and prayers. I'm going to pray. Amen. And I thought it was interesting. I had the TV on last night. Before the second game, two teams gathered at the field. And I stopped what I was doing to listen what is going to be prayed. After these commercials, we'll be right back. I said, okay. I'm not shocked by that. I'm not surprised by that. The help that the world needs isn't going to come from a league. But believers in that league, coaches and chaplains, and all the individuals that know Christ in those situations, that's their mission field. And what can come, uh, appear to be bad and awful and evil, God can turn that around and use that for good to make people think if a 24-year-old can have his life change in a moment, what about me? I'm not in the shape he's in. That's where we live all the time. But this is what they were missing when they said, let's go to commercial. All of our prayers, that's wonderful. But we don't get up off any field or any bed or out of any chair or out of any car after any trip if we don't have divine rescue from the Lord. That's where our help comes from. It doesn't come from the hills. It comes from the maker of the hills and the maker of heaven and earth, the psalmist said. So that's where we live, is our help. We'll pray for one another, but if the Lord doesn't answer, if the Lord doesn't intervene, it's not going to happen. Paul expected this trial to be used for good. He expected Romans 8.28 to be realized in his own life and ministry for real. So he was putting into practice what he believed and what he preached. Aren't we thankful when somebody actually practices what they preach? And you don't peel it back through one trial or one interview or one moment and you find out it isn't the person that you thought all along and the world just mocks. Trials are helpful in this. His hope for bodily deliverance, for rescue, that's what the word is. It's where we, where we get the word for salvation, for deliverance. And there's different views. What is he talking about? You know, that will turn out for my deliverance at the end of verse 19. My rescue, my salvation. Is he talking about, I'm going to get out of prison? Maybe. Is he talking about, when I stand on trial, I'm going to be declared not guilty, go free? Or is he talking about, I'm going to die and be with the Lord? Amen. The answer, Yes. He doesn't know, but he knows it's all going to work out together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He'll be in prison until the Lord gives him freedom. He'll be in this earthly tabernacle until the Lord sets him free. And in that, he says, you're praying for me, and the Lord will deliver me so I can have confidence. I can have and maintain joy. So by the grace of God, I'll rejoice in Christ. We will remember that our deliverance comes from the Lord. And number three, resolve to live or die for Jesus Christ. This is Paul's plan, and his plan with confidence is that Christ will be honored, magnified, that I will make much of Christ in my body. Now, it's interesting because in the first century, there came the teaching, Gnosticism, you know, that it's separate. You have your body and then you have your soul. Your soul is spiritual and therefore your soul is over here and your body's over here. The two aren't separate. So you really do what you want to do in your body. That doesn't affect your soul. And Paul is saying, I want Christ to be magnified in my body, my life. May Christ be honored by my life. This is his, what he says, this is my, verse 20, and it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all 
ashamed. I won't be let down or disappointed at all. This word, eager expectation, it has the idea of leaning your head forward to see what's coming. It's this expectation that you're not just standing there and here comes, you know, you're in a parade, you're waiting on whatever, you know, your, your grandchild is marching in the parade and you're just carrying on or, you know, God forbid, on your phone. Somebody, hey, you're looking, you're leaning, you're trying to get past the crowd. I'm looking for someone. You ever been at an airport? If you've ever had a loved one serve in the military, military and they're coming back from overseas, that's what it is here. I'm looking, I'm waiting, <clears throat> I'm not preoccupied with anything else. I have eager expectation. I'm waiting for that door to open for my loved one. And when they come through, I'm gonna hug their neck. Little kids go and jump into the arms of their parent when they come back from serving, right? I love those videos. Those are amazing. Why? Because that's the expectation, that's what he's saying. This isn't just sitting back passive. Well, the Lord is sovereign, so here I'll be in prison until he gets me out. He's got an eager expectation. This is showing us his attitude. His self-centered life ended on the road to Damascus. He died that day and was born again to new life in Christ. So now his life from that moment on was aimed at making much of Jesus Christ. What about us? What about you? Have you experienced this kind of life change? Are you experiencing that eager expectation that Paul says? He's saying, if I live on in, this, in the flesh, then there will be meaningful ministry of evangelism and discipleship. Verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. There was still work to be done. Paul was, he was honest about that. There's still more to do. I'm not done here. God's workmen will all die, but the work of God will go on. Think about that. God's workmen will die, but God's work will go on. There will come a day when I will no longer be living and the work will go on. Someone else will be preaching and the gospel ministry will go on. It will go forward. We are responsible for our leg in the race. So let's ask that question, what is the defining purpose of my life? What is the defining purpose of our lives? Paul says, if I stay here, there's a lot to be done. There's a lot of people who don't know Christ as Savior, as Lord yet, and I'm concerned about them. There are people within the, the faith, the churches, I'm concerned about them. So if I'm here, I have something to do. I'm not just sitting over here, I don't know, when I get out of prison, then I'll get back in it again. You know, when I get my health back, then I'll serve the Lord. When I have this, when this, when that, when it all aligns, then I, that's not Paul. If he leaves me alive, I'm gonna preach Christ. I'm gonna live for Christ. I'm gonna serve. I'm gonna write letters. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna do everything I can to encourage. But he's in this dilemma. May Christ be honored by my life and may Christ be honored by my death. Now, in our Bibles, it says, you know, for uh, me to live, in, in verse 21, for, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The word is in both of those phrases is supplied in the English language. It's not in the original language to make it readable. But understand the, the punch that Paul wrote it. He's, he wrote it this way, for to me to live Christ to die, gain. Like it's, it's straight to the point. There's a punch. Life, my life, if I live, Christ. If I die, gain. The gospel will go on. Here we are 2,000 years later. Was he right or was he wrong? It, it, the world didn't lose anything when God allowed his head to be chopped off. It actually ignited the gospel even more. People were more encouraged that that guy who used to hate Jesus was willing to just lay his life down and just tell people, hey, if you leave me alive, then I'm gonna tell you about Jesus. If you chop my head off, my head will roll, but I'm in the presence of Jesus. Win, win. Time's wasting. What do you do with that guy? Well, he encourages us. He inspires us. He said, oh, I can't wait to be with Christ. 
I desire to be with Christ. In verse 23, for that is, that's just not a little better. It's far better. To be with Christ, it's not even a close comparison. Paul was saying, I can't wait to be with Jesus. Now, I want to just consider and contrast our culture's view of death with Paul's view of death, with a scriptural view of death. What is becoming more increasingly common is that when people die, they don't necessarily want a preacher to stand at the graveside and speak to their loved ones. What's becoming more common is, you know, don't show any pictures of me. Don't mention anything. Just have a celebration of life. There's whole industries now devoted to when someone dies to simply have a party to simply make it as lighthearted and fluffy as possible with anything anyone wants to bring except any note of sobriety. Paul is not afraid to die. He's not in a hurry to die. A scriptural view of death is for the believer. At that moment when we pass, there's an opportunity for someone to stand and proclaim the gospel one more time to those who are living. But can I encourage you all in this? Don't wait. Don't wait for some pastor to have to hopefully say all that should be said. You say it. You're alive. You say it to your, your spouse, your children, your grandchildren. You tell them. You write it down. You proclaim it in love. You speak it boldly while you're alive. Don't wait so that the family sits confused like, oh, I hear the guy the preacher's talking about. I didn't know that man. I didn't know that lady, really. I would have liked to have heard that from their lips. What are we waiting on? What are we afraid of? Paul encourages us here. He's got no hurry up. I need to just die. Okay, so that, that's not a good witness. Well, if the Lord would just take me now, you know. I mean, we heard that in the Old Testament. Moses, Elijah, if you love me, Lord, kill me now. No, you're not, you're not done yet. So if you're faint of heart, there's people in the Bible that you can take encouragement from. Listen to what Amos said, the Old Testament prophet, 4.12. At the end of this, he says, speaking on behalf of the Lord, prepare to meet your God. You realize I'm just in a long line of, and so are you, telling people, are you ready? Are you ready to meet God? the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything, are you ready to stand before him? There will, no, there will not be any arguments in that day. There will not be any arrogance in that day. Are you ready for that appointment? Because we will not be, will not be late. Paul said, he said, I'm hard pressed. Verse 23, I'm hard pressed between the two. This is the idea, I don't know if you remember when his name was Aaron Ralston, I think. He was hiking. I think it was Blue John Canyon, and the rock fell, and he was between two of those cutouts in a canyon. No one knew he, where he was. No one knew he was out there. He's the one who had to cut his arm off because he was pressed between the two, and he was going to die there, and no one knew he was there. So he had to cut his arm off and walk out of that canyon. When Paul talks about this, I don't know if you've ever been in a cave or if you've ever been somewhere in a canyon and you walk between where, the, where the, the water has washed it out, and there's only this much space, and you're this wide. You know what I'm talking about? And it's claustrophobic, and you can't just say, excuse me, I'm going to move this rock over a little bit. Now I can just walk through unhindered. No, it's a rock. It's not going anywhere. And that's the word that Paul said, here's what I'm pressed between the two. I want to live on and be with you and serve you. I love you. I'm thankful for you. There's so much to be done, and I want to be with Jesus. And so there's not one priority that's going to give way. I am pressed between the two. I've had someone tell me this recently to say, I'm ready to be with the Lord, but I'm also, I'm concerned about my family. There's more that needs to be done with my family. That's what Paul is saying here. I'm hard-pressed between the two. 
So many saints down through church history, they felt the pressure. They felt the desire to be with Christ, not just be done with suffering. I want to see Jesus. That's the testimony of a believer. It's not, oh, you know, grandma is in heaven and I'll be with grandma and all these things and my, my pets and all these things. And what, where does Jesus factor into that? I want to see Jesus, right? That's what Paul is saying. He, he doesn't say, you know, I can't wait to see Stephen and I oversaw his stoning. Oh, he would get there, but he wanted to be with Jesus the one who died for him and rose again and forgave him. And so he fixed his eyes on eternity. He had he, this passion of the state of the souls of others. Does that describe us? Are we like this? The people that we work with, the people that we live around, are we this fixed on Jesus and the souls of those around us? Oh, may we resolve to live or die for Christ. Number four, by the grace of God, I'll remain serving God faithfully. Paul knows there'll be ministry, there'll be fruit, there's so much to be accomplished. So he kind of comes back and makes a, a deduction here. There's confidence in verse 25. I'm convinced of this. I know that I'll remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. There's, there's just a confidence. He doesn't have any divine revelation from God that this is what's going to happen. He doesn't have the timeline. But he has a confidence to remain in serve God and serve his people faithfully. That from Paul we learn to prioritize serving Christ and his body now, present tense, today. And if we're gonna do this, then with Paul, we need to refuse to waste precious time by waiting to serve. We can often come up with reasons. Well, there's reasons why I don't serve. There's reasons why you know, I haven't followed in baptism yet. There's reasons why I haven't plugged in, in in membership and put my hand to the work. I have reasons. That is true at times. But then the longer those reasons drag on, they turn into be just excuses. We have excuses. Well, I would serve, but. And what, what is that that is prohibiting you, that's keeping you from being fully devoted to the one who made you? So with the people of God, with the Apostle Paul, we refuse to waste precious time, our one lives, by waiting to serve, to do the work of the master. Well, where do we begin? Start where there's a need. Start where there's a need. Be faithful in the little things. Be willing to do whatever is needed. Be willing to do what no one else will do. What's needed to be done? How can I help? Where can I serve? Start there. Faithful in the little things, you know what the Lord does? Entrusts you with greater things. If we're not faithful in the little things, why should we ever be entrusted with anything, with anything greater? In Luke chapter 10 and verse two, this is what the Lord gave to his church because it's true wherever you go, there's always a need for more to serve. Well, what do we do about that? This is what Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That's probably one of the most common prayers that I pray. Lord, it's your harvest. Lord, they're your laborers. So Lord, get your laborers into the work of your harvest at your church right here on Forest and Friday and God willing, on the quarter of 30 and Forest real soon. But the Lord has to do that. It's much different than, all right, wise, okay, okay, uncle, uncle, fine. Uh, where's Jenna? I'll serve in the nursery, okay. Wow, get off my back already. Uh, there's joy in serving the Lord, but the Holy Spirit is the one that prompts us in this. He's the one that moves. Start where there's a need. 
Serve within the body of Christ. This is a, with a team mentality, with a partnership mentality. We're a family, the family of God. We're not a corporation. I'd like to work my way up, and I'd like to begin by shoveling snow, and then I'll be on the roof fixing, you know, maybe that'll happen, on, you know, shingles. I worked my way up. Literally, you did, okay? But what needs to be done, serve faithfully and entrust the outcome to the Lord. As we, when we serve as a family instead of a corporation, then guess what? Check this out, okay? We're all different. You look around, there's different people, different personalities. We don't all think the same. We don't all function on projects the same. We're different. Sometimes ideas like smash off of each other in the course of a project. But in the body of Christ, when you function as a family, then you work together and you work out the conflict. You just don't run from the conflict. That's corporate. I'll just go get another job. I don't like my boss. In the body of Christ, we work through that conflict. And you know what? We actually are humbled and we grow in grace. And we experience what we see in Scripture that is a striving to love one another. We're motivated by love and we're motivated by grace. And in all of the work that is done, we have a divine guarantee. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus to Peter, I will build my church. Church, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church. That's a promise. That's a guarantee. You remember when Corey Fifield was here and he preached that? That's a win-win. That's an investment you can't lose. So loved ones, let's stay faithful to the end. I love Paul because Paul was a throttle down, pedal to the metal, full throttle, all out. I can be that way sometimes and it doesn't matter what I'm doing. Eating, all in. <laughs> cereal, I still drive ginger crazy how I eat cereal. I can't help it. I'm level 10 eating cereal. <laughs> if you don't love me, you get real annoyed by me. Sometimes if you love me, you can still get annoyed by me. This is Paul. Paul is a, I'm not waiting. I'm not keeping a reserved tank. There's no retirement in Paul's future. In time, there comes a reworking of what a man of God is able to do, but I don't see retirement in my future unless I am not able to put some thoughts together and everyone is more confused at the end of the sermon than at the beginning of the sermon. Then the Lord can reshuffle the deck, okay? and rework places where his workmen go. But I don't see retirement ever in the, in the future. Retire from what? Telling people the good news of Christ? To what? Go fishing? Okay, nothing wrong with fishing, but I don't want my life to be about fishing for fish because I'm not really that good at it anyway. It's about being a fisher of men. I love Paul. He's the one that wrote this beloved 1 Corinthians 15, 58 at the monumental passage on the resurrection with the whole weight of the 57 verses before. There's a therefore. We have a hope that is secure and he says, therefore my beloved brothers be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, knowing. There's a confidence here that in the Lord, your labor is not in, what's that word? It's not wasted. It's not wasted. What are you investing into the work of the kingdom? This is the only place that we invest that it's not wasted. It's, it's the work of the gospel. It's eternal, the, the work of Christ. So let's not have these excuses and, well, someday. No, let's, let's, let's get active in this today and let her be invest this one life by helping others come to know, love, and follow Jesus. This is, the, this is just the most basic definition of discipleship you can come up with. What is discipleship? Million dollar word. It's helping someone else come to know, love, and follow Jesus. 
How do you do that? Sometimes you might shovel a neighbor's driveway. You might mow their grass. You might bring their trash cans up. You might bring them bread after they've, you know, a meal, after they've been in surgery. What are you doing? You're not just bringing a meal. You're helping them. You're making a way for them come to know, love, and follow Jesus. And that is done in a million, a billion ways around this planet. It's us being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit that he loves us, he loves us, those who are without Christ, how can we be his hands and feet to make a difference in people's lives? Loved ones, this begins at the moment of our conversion. This doesn't come after, well, after I've attended for a year, well, after I've mastered the Bible and read through it 10 times, after I know everything I need to know, then, no, 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 that's wasting your life. Invest the one life that you're given to help somebody else come to know, love, and follow Jesus. This is what we learn from Paul. The church is the place where we grow to abound in love and in knowledge and in all discernment. It's the place where we're discipled and where we help others come to know, love, and follow Jesus. Those who are in front of you, those who are alongside of you, and there is someone, even if you're relatively new in the faith, there's someone newer in faith behind you that you can encourage. Invest your life. Remain serving faithfully. That's what Paul says. I remain. I'm going to see you again. Your progress, your joy in the faith. And then number five, regather for the glory of Christ Jesus. Regather that in Christ we'll all be reunited either here or in heaven. We say it at the end of observing communion in this month. This month, we're going to observe communion on the last Sunday. That note that the early church said, perhaps next time with Christ, that's the idea. We may be regathered here. We may be here on the last Sunday of the month. But we may and we will be regathered in the presence of the one who died and rose again for us. That is a guarantee. At a graveside service even yesterday, we were talking afterwards that this message, every single time it's presented, it just becomes more and more vivid, more and more beautiful, more and more just good and gracious. It never gets old, and it doesn't need any reinventing. It just needs to be shared again and again and again. Story of Jesus. So when Paul is saying this, he, he, you see in this verse... Verse 26, so that in me, oh boy, here we go. He's talking about himself now. Okay, why does he bring himself up at the front of this verse? In me, because I have an important role. And you can say that personally. You have an important role. This is personal here. He is longing for the communion of the saints, the fellowship of the saints. If you have been born again, then you are a servant of Christ, loved one. This is, this is no small reality. This is huge. This is personal for genuine Christians. We're all filled with gratitude for what God has done for us in Christ. So when we gather, when the church gathers, we long to be there. It's our priority. It's not, well, if I can, I'll try. It's the priority of a believer's life and focus. And I will never let off the throttle on that. It's gathering together. The church is God's plan A for reaching the world. And there's not plan B. It's plan A. This is why the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How do we encourage one another? How do we love one another? How do we encourage and help one another? Not, verse 25, neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. How do you encourage one another if you're not gathering with one another? If you're isolated, how, who are you encouraging? Who are you serving? Who's serving you? You're that ember that's out of the fire growing cold. And that's the temptation that always comes is anything other than gathering with the people of God. Oh, you've got to be here. You've got to be there. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. Okay, let me ask you the question. Is that eternal work that you're being distracted with? Then 
Do you think that's coming from the Lord? You got to go here, be there. You're too important over here, over there. Or is that coming from somewhere else? And you're sensible people, you figure that out. Does worshiping and serving with God's people hold the dominant and prominent place in your thinking and priorities and week? Let me ask you that again. Does worshiping and serving with God's people hold the dominant and prominent place in your focus, in your weekly schedule? This is an opportunity to say, Lord, you're opening my eyes here. You're helping me see what I'm maybe neglected or forgotten. Do we share Paul's commitment and love for the local church and the Great Commission? Can I invite again those who are still online and haven't come back in years? Come back, you're missing and we love you and we're missing you. Don't stay isolated from the people of God one more Sunday. I've been gone so long. What will they say? Who cares? But I'll tell you what we'll say. Welcome back. We love you. We've missed you. Jesus is our supreme focus. That's where Paul goes next. Oh, that in me? What, Paul? You may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. I'm just a servant. He threw me into prison for a while. Rejoice in Jesus. Wow. Okay. Make much of Jesus. He's our focus. He alone deserves the glory. If you're going to boast, don't boast in me, Paul's saying. Boast in my Savior. That in me, you can boast more about Jesus. Because I'm his. Are you his? Do you belong to him? Paul was devoted to being used for the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Use me and throw me away to glory when you're done with me. That's what Paul is saying. It's the same thing John the Baptist said. John, you're losing a lot of disciples. They're going and following that Jesus of Nazareth over there. What did John say? John 3.30, he must increase. I must decrease. Up with him, down with me. Does that describe you? Does that describe us as a church? What does it look like then for Christians to be consumed with making much of Christ, the title of this message? This is the spirit of grace that is made possible by the spirit of God. And that's what Paul was saying. Like, you're praying for me, but the spirit of Christ is in me, in you, and he is going to accomplish everything that he intends for our good and for his glory. And the writer of Hebrews would say it this way. What is Paul living out? It's what Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 say. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, all right, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising this shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you see that Paul is writing to the Philippians saying the same thing that I'm saying to you, that you'll have to encourage me and remind me, in, and that is fix your eyes on Jesus, Fix your focus on Christ. How did he go through the cross? He didn't go through it whimpering. He didn't go through it sheepishly in a way that, how can I get out of this and afraid? He went with his face fixed like a flint to Jerusalem. There was no going back and no one would take his life. He would lay it down and he would take it up again. That's why we have 1 Corinthians 15. He lives I'll live. He lives. If you are in Christ, you will live. Life that never ends. So Paul is saying, hey, I have an important role in this. What's your role, Paul? Christ, Jesus will be made, made much of. That you can boast about Jesus. Use me for that. Spend me for that. And let us see. We'll all grow in grace together. We'll share in the blessings, the good times and the hard times. We'll worship together, we'll walk together, and we'll work together for the glory of God and the good of all peoples. Listen, this is why, as elders were saying, come together. The last Sunday night of this month, all members, you're currently serving, you're looking for a place to serve. Even if you're here and you're believing that this is the place where God is adding you and you're going through the process of coming into membership or considering membership, you are welcome to join us. Six o'clock on that night. We want to help 
put people into the places where there are needs and ministry and strengthen. Why? Because we're preparing to make room. We also have to pray together about the next steps of, of moving forward in building. And we're going to talk about it that night. Where are we? What has God provided? Where are we lacking? What needs to come in? You can be praying now. We're about two million short from being able to see how does this get done. Thank you, pandemic. But guess what? God's sovereign over it all. So has he brought us this far with all he's provided for us to say, oh, it was a good try? Or do we come together and say, Lord, we don't have any might, any power, any ideas on our own, but our eyes are on you. That's our prayer. But we'll come together as a family and we'll pray about it and we'll talk about it. What are our options? Because by God's grace, we want to be good stewards. We want to be wise in our decisions that we're making. Paul knew that their reunion would be great joy. Think about that, you know, when we all get together, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see, not great-grandma, Jesus. We'll sing and shout the victory that Jesus accomplished. So by the grace of God, loved ones, we'll rejoice always in Christ. We'll remember our deliverance comes from the Lord and importance of human relationships and divine rescue. We will resolve by the grace of God to live or die for Christ. And we will remain serving God and others faithfully and we will regather for the good of others and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's in small groups this week and it's next Sunday. As many Lord's days as the Lord gives to us, we will regather, but one day we will gather with all those who have crossed that river Jordan and they're in the presence of the one who died for them. Now, today is January 8th. And in my notes, I had written this, and I've shared this before, and I didn't realize that it was actually 66 years ago today that Jim Elliott, those five missionaries and four others were martyred in Ecuador. 66 years ago today. And when they found his journal... I had his quote in the sermon, and I wanted to check something this morning, and this is, his, this is actually taking a photo out of his journal where he wrote the quote, I had it in earlier, and Stephen helped me, and we switched it out. That this man gave his life with the four other missionaries, and what he had written, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This was in the same era that Billy Graham's ministry was being borne out. Within the same time frame. This is the time when you would think that everybody would run from work of missions and ministry. But I will tell you, and I've told you before, this, Through the Gates of Splendor, the book of the recounting what happened there in those jungles, the jungle of Ecuador, that God used in calling me away from a self-centered life, to life just to live for Christ and do whatever he would have me to do. I would encourage, like Stephen did last week, read this. Young people, read these books. Read these books. Read these accounts. And let the Lord lay claims on your life and your future and be willing to say, God, whatever you want from me. And where their blood was spilled, there's a church there. There's thousands of people in ministry because they ran to the battle fixed with eyes fixed on Jesus. Where are your eyes fixed today? Where is your hand active in serving today? How can we help you take your next step to take your one life and invest it for eternity and make much of Jesus Christ? He is no fool. You are not no fool to give what you can't keep, to gain what you cannot lose. Let's stand together. Oh, Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power and the beauty of the gospel. I thank you for Jesus. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for putting my own eyes on self and self-centered goals 
Father, I pray that in this new year that has unfolded, that we as a people, that I, as a husband, as a father, as a shepherd, that I will fix my eyes on Jesus and that you will use my life, whether I live or die, use my life, use our lives to make much of Christ. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will open the eyes of someone today that has not come to a saving knowledge of Jesus yet, but today would be the day, and they would say, I'm done. I'm done running after my own will and my own desires, and I admit I'm a sinner, and I confess my sin to the Lord, and I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and they would receive you this gift of salvation today. Father, I pray that this would happen. And as your people, Lord, help us to be devoted, absolutely, wholeheartedly devoted to helping others come to know, love, and follow you, Jesus. For that is an eternal investment for which we will one million, one billion years from now not regret, but there's a lot of other things that we'll regret putting our time and energy into. This, the gospel, we will not. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.